Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Womenhood and International Relations podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Bonilla. And for today's episode, we will be reviewing The Diplomat, the TV series. This is a 2023 political drama. It has been streaming in Netflix and it talks about the career diplomat that is juggling the position of ambassador of the United States to the United Kingdom. Kerry Russell is the uh, lead actress. Um, she plays Kate Weiler, the U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom. She was supposedly uh, preparing to become the U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan, but in the first episode um, it is very clear and I'm not giving any spoiler here but it is very clear in the first episode that you know the administration changed their minds and she was sent to take the position of ambassador to the United Kingdom a position that her husband Hal Weiler previously held so you could see that the first episode whether this is all taking you know form already poses many ethical and political challenges and um, I thought it would be nice to continue you know watching it um, I was not particularly interested in the flow of the series um, I found it very slow but um, I thought it would be interesting to do an analysis for the podcast to see if there were some um, lessons that we can take from these TV series um, that can you know enrich the different explorations that we have engaged so far you know in terms of feminist theory in IR in terms of feminist foreign policies and you know women in politics and in diplomacy And I thought, okay, let's try it out. Let's watch it. Let's see where, you know, what this has to offer. And before we begin the conversation, I just want to say, if you have not watched the TV series and you would like to watch them and you do not like spoilers, then definitely this is the time to pause it and come back later. Come back after you watch it and share with us your feedback. Do you like it? Do you enjoy it? And um, yeah, let's, let us know. Uh, we are currently on Instagram, on LinkedIn and on Twitter at womenhood underscore IR. So drop us a line if you watch the TV series, if you want to, um, you know, engage in a conversation on, you know, the different analyses and the different highlights that you may have seen or that have interested you so yeah let's share impressions I'm gonna leave a moment of silence here um, for those of you that want to come back later looking forward to talking with you soon okay so for those of you that have watched the tv series already Or those of you that do not care to watch it and do not care about receiving any types of spoilers and you just want to, you know, like go with the flow and see what is it all about. I am the same with some series, like a lot of my friends, you know, invite me to watch these thriller TV series and American Crime Story and American Horror Story and The Black Mirror and these very, very dark and horror type of TV series and I just pass <laughs> I'm like just give me the details I don't care about the spoilers I don't want to experience it all so you just can share with me what happened and I'm okay with it um <laughs> because you know for the line of work that I do um the least 
that I want to watch on my spare time is horror you know like I have you know as a journalist a producer in these type of topics like I have seen so much um, conflict and you know this is something that we study so watching this type of horror tv series is not the same thing for me so um if you perhaps are tired of watching political tv series because you work in politics then i get you you know like i get you because you know this is um sometimes we just need a breather and we don't want to use our spare time to watch things connected to our work um so yeah so i sit around and i said let's try the first episode and I want to say in this first part of the podcast that this TV series was very average. That's my take, my feedback, like how I rate this TV series. If I could rate it, I would say, you know, it's nothing out of the ordinary. It's not even good entertainment for, once again, for my view, um, It was good in some aspects in terms of how politics um, play or what happens behind closed doors, what happens with the media, what is, you know, the different power plays between society and the negotiations and all that. I mean, that part was good, like a good representation to see it on TV. Um, however, the TV series, it was very difficult to finish. The first season is only eight episodes, and in my experience, I couldn't binge watch it. It wasn't an easy flow type of, you know, TV series. It's just, it was a bit boring. Um, there were some cliches in the different relationships. Once again, this is very subjective. Perhaps you, you, you can see it for yourself and there are some things that are very new to you. Um, but for me, you know, the love triangles and the different power plays between the husband and wife and the prime minister for me was like, uh, you know, like it wasn't new. It was just like, okay. But the drama itself wasn't thrilling it wasn't exciting it was just a bit mellow so you just needed to you know take your time with it and perhaps watch one episode for a week <laughs> not even every day because it was uh you know like I for me I found it very like okay so I'm just I'm doing it for the podcast let me finish this the acting is good The script is okay. The twists and turns were nothing out of the ordinary. Perhaps the one thing that really was like exciting was the the last episode, the, the final episode of the season where a lot of things unfolded. Um, but yeah, my overall impression of this TV series is why create this type of story that has been told over and over again that doesn't offer anything new that was my first impression 
My second impression, I didn't rewatch it. I didn't go to the torture of rewatching it. But as I was, you know, already in the episode five, episode six, I was taking my notes and there was something interesting that caught my attention, which was the different relationship dynamics, particularly between Kate Weiler and her husband, Hal Weiler. The relationship between Kate Weiler and Denison, which is the British foreign minister, and the relationship of Kate, which is the protagonist of the TV series, with the British prime minister, Throwbridge. Yes, that's the name. <laughs> Don't ask me why they chose that type of name, but it's very linked to the topic of, or the crisis there, there so of the first season. So let's explore this deeper. Um, Kate as a protagonist, she is a symbol and a representation of, you know, women in power. She is being hailed for becoming the first female ambassador of the United States to the United Kingdom. So it is important. But more than that, for me, it was very emblematic that the first posting, the original posting for her was to go and become the first female ambassador of the United States to Afghanistan. Of course, you know, with the war, global war on terror, the war in Afghanistan, the Taliban takeover in 2021, um, Having a female U.S. ambassador in the in Afghanistan would have been very, very significant and appealing. Why there was a detour and why she was sent to the United Kingdom, she is not aware of. Um, the Secretary of State didn't have much um, good relationship with her. But there's a whole scheme happening behind closed door between the president of the United States and the administration with Hal, which is the husband of Kate, to try to position her later on as the best candidate for a VP role in the next upcoming elections in the United States. So... This type of posting of Kate as U.S. female ambassador to the United Kingdom was supposed to be brief, as in three to six months um, before the candidature could take place. She didn't know any of this. She didn't know the master plan that her husband, as well as those in the um, current um, presidential administration uh, of the United States were doing behind her back. She she was not aware of that plan. That's something that is um, uncovered um, later on in the first season. But that first decision was interesting to explore why she was not sent to Afghanistan. She had everything prepared to go to Afghanistan. That would have actually been very 
um, groundbreaking in terms of diplomacy, in terms of women in politics, history or history of women in politics or women in diplomacy. It would have represented a change as well in the U.S. Um, um, administration of Afghanistan, once again, in the TV series. Because Kate was very, she, she's a career diplomat. So she has done everything by the book, but she's also very good according to what other people say, because we don't see that very much taking place in the first season. But she's very good at working on the ground, you know, like speaking with locals, you know, trying to blend in. And, you know, she kind of reminded me at first um, of Carrie in Homeland, you know, the 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 CIA operator, the CIA agent um, in Homeland, the TV series, um, that type of um, personality. Um, Carrie had a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder and, you know, some mental and emotional issues. Um, in this TV series, those are barely touched upon in the case of Kate. Um, they're very open to interpretation, so we don't know much about her mental well-being. But what we do know is about her different understandings of power exercise between her and her husband. So her husband was different than her. Her husband was not a career diplomat. He's a very charismatic personality. He has been a U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom as well as to other um, countries. So he's a very experienced diplomat. So whenever they both enter into a room, all the eyes mostly tend to gravitate towards him and not her. So... Those are the first things that when the TV series begins, we start seeing the cracks in that type of relationship and how she's uncomfortable with being posted as U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom, a position that was previously held by her husband, because the contacts, the networking, the people and the government in place would still refer to or will want to speak to her husband thinking that he still holds that position rather than her. So she didn't have like a clean slate to, you know, make a name for herself. It doesn't help either that her last name is Weiler, the same as her husband. So when people are calling into her office, you know, like, let me speak to Ambassador Weiler, most of the time they're referring or they're wanting to speak to Hal, not speak to Kate. So those type of frictions are very evident from the first two, three episodes. Then we started seeing the cracks between the personal relationship between them because there were some resentments spoken and those that were still uh, on the gray areas resentments from her to him and him to her for her it is very clear that she resents him not only 
capturing the attention of the people or speaking over for her or trying to underestimate her capability of, you know, commanding a room or, you know, taking decisions, etc. But also something that bothers her that is affecting their personal relationship as husband and wife is that he's a very impulsive as well as secretive person. So she feels like she cannot trust him. It's not that he's unfaithful to her, but it's more that he's a lying person. He lies. And because he lies and he withholds information from her or he tends to fix things or, you know, starts doing some businesses on the other side and doesn't tell her or takes decisions that may affect her work uh, without, you know, telling her, she wants a divorce. She wants to divorce him. She doesn't want to continue the relationship further. There are some other aspects in terms of sex and in terms of, um, you know, how they do deal with intimacy as, you know, makeup or breakup sex and all those angry undertones of that type of bedroom dynamics. But there's also resentment from him to her because his love for her is so strong that he wants to help her shine but there's also a narcissistic because there's still some things that he does to comply with her to try to help her or try to um not irk her nerve though in the bottom of those decisions he's still the one benefiting from that decision so even if he tries to you know withhold or refrain from doing certain calls you know to fix certain problems he also may do that of withholding or refraining himself but it's like he will find a way that that type of decision eventually serves him a purpose to his political ambitions. So I don't know if I'm making myself clear, but it's, it's as if he may take decisions because he loves her and because he doesn't want her to become angry at him. But then he resents her for not understanding that he is like that he she should accept him as he is so instead of shaming him in a very passive aggressive kind of way um he may take decisions to comply with her but then on the undertones of those decisions he finds a way to use it in his favor in the future you know, it's not the decision for the decision itself. It's like, okay, I'm going to comply with you, but that decision, eventually, I would try to make it in my favor. So I would say he's like a narcissist. Um, but once again, I'm not a psychologist, but he has like that type of, he has those type of dynamics um, in place. 
So it's interesting to see um, how the the work decisions or the decisions in the work environments affect the personal dynamics because that's something that we have covered here in the podcast you know with the feminist theory applied to IR how the personal is international and in this type of uh, work settings where both of them are ambassadors or one of them used to be ambassador but he was you know blacklisted for the current administration but he still holds influence he still holds power and during the first two three episodes we see that struggle very clear and and to expand on that now that i you know look at the situation i am not very sure that that got solved in the first season like i'm not sure that by the end of the first season kate tra- fixed that legitimacy or reputation problem it's interesting that the way that she started dealing with negotiations for this crisis where 41 British servicemen were killed in a bombing and, you know, the prime minister wanted to bomb uh, Russia or bomb the triangle in Syria, you know, to hit Russian targets, etc. Because that's another thing that I found interesting about It's not interesting. It's very cliche. It's like most of these Western political dramas tend to portray Russia or trying to portray always Russia as the enemy. And it's, it's very exhausting. It's like, can you find another enemy? Why is it always Russia? And, you know, how this affects, you know, on a side note, how this affects the psyche of the societies that watch these political dramas, you know, because consciously or unconsciously, they're sending you a messages even if this is entertainment and even if this is TV that, you know, the Russians are bad and the Russians are always behind worse things and the ones creating trouble and etc. It's like, oh my God, like, this is very, very cliche. So <laughs> try to find someone else to blame and try to at least, to, you know, if you want to do a TV series that offers something new, um... Try to also showcase your own shortcomings of your own country. The United Kingdom is not perfect. The U.S. is not perfect. It's not like the only enemy is Russia and the only bad ones is Russia. You know, like this very war rhetoric of us versus them is reinforced here. But anyway, coming back to um, the Kate... um, the, The Kate as a diplomat position the legitimization of her power in that position was not fixed in the first season Um, she tended to gravitate towards making power moves with other women you know the french ambassador uh, or the french foreign minister i think uh, it was a foreign minister when she travels to paris um you know, women to women, or speaking with the um, senior aide of the prime minister who was also a woman, you know, it's interesting how she tends to, you know, gravitate towards other fellow females to try to um, make the, the power moves to fix the situation of the crisis. And then the only male figure that she relies to take decisions, she cannot rely on Hall, so she relies on Denison, which is the British foreign minister. 
and that's where the love triangle happens and the awkwardness the quirkiness of her personality the you know the mure and the elegancy or the elegantness the elegantness or the poise of you know the british prime minister denison um you know it is very evident like you know there are very different but they value and think alike so you see that type of connection and she starts to rely on him at first you know like not only because she's the U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom and the U.S. and the U.K. have close relationships and in this crisis the U.K. didn't want to um, make any political or military move without the backing of the United States. So that's why these type of negotiations happen. But between those type of conversations, there are some needs that she, as a character, once again, this is my analysis. I may be wrong, but or wrong, but um, my hypothesis of her behavior is that because she was not receiving support and she couldn't trust her closest ally who was her husband in a different country she she didn't have time to process that she was not posted in Afghanistan she was just thrown into the United Kingdom and deal with it and don't soak on it like figure it out um she started bonding with Denison, who was not only treating her with respect, but was also very honest and very blunt with her. Something that she appreciated, because if you're living with a, a, a husband or a partner that is lying to you all the freaking time, not only on business or on work environments, but also in your personal life, then you know you tend to appreciate honesty. You know, it's, it's by default, you know, like, <laughs> if, if you have received, you know, so many things that you're up against and then suddenly someone else represents and means what they say, you tend to trust them. That that relationship went downhill the moment that the final episode came up and, you know, she uncovered that he was not being honest with her not totally honest um he was hitting some things from her because of course each one of these ambassadors and foreign ministers you know these top positions you're not, not only representing yourself you're representing your country and no matter how much allies allyship are between the united states and the united kingdom these um political figures are not open books. They are not, you know, f let's just share all of my state secrets with you and all of my moves with you, whatever. Like, that doesn't happen. They share what is comfortable to share. And, you know, there are other things that they cannot share for national security purposes, even if we're talking with people that we may, you know, be empathetic or sympathetic with or that we are uh, you know in close friendship or close relationship with etc so I find that those lines um, 
good to see that you know un unveiled on the TV series because it's part of the nature of soft of soft power of diplomacy. Like it's not that they are one of them is lying to one another. It's just we share what we are comfortable sharing if we have a good relationship. Once again. Um, but that doesn't mean that we are open books to our countries because friendship of countries does not necessarily mean that we cannot protect ourselves. You know, like that type of um, rationale. The relationship between the two, um, Kate and Denison, got stronger, sadly, because of the incident with the Iranian foreign minister that went to um, Denison's office to speak and then suddenly she was there she was unofficially supposed to be there but they were trying to figure out who was the one behind this you know bombing or this crisis and then suddenly um, the Iranian foreign minister fell ill and was poisoned apparently after he was sharing some state secrets and um, he died in the office of the British Prime Minister Denison. Very cliche, once again, why the Iranian foreign minister? You know, like, couldn't it be from any other country in the world? Like, why is it always that Western political dramas always try to portray Russian, Iran, and now, lately, adding China, but Russia, Iran, as the ones always behind all the freaking problems that are currently happening in the world you know like in a way is that is as if consciously or unconsciously they are giving russia and iran more power in a symbolic way you know they may portray them as enemies but they're also symbolically and culturally with this type of scripts legitimizing or um, I don't know if the word is legitimizing, but kind of portraying them as big as they may be, perhaps. But but they're kind of reassuring the audience that, you know, the Russians are the second country with the largest arsenal. They are the ones to be feared. You know, like, in a way, they're giving these subliminal messages of, oh, my God, like, the Russians are so strong and so powerful. We need to fear them. We need to fight them. You know, like, that is feed on in these type of political dramas, even when they just want to bomb Russia, which is ultimately what Throwbridge, the prime minister, wants to do, the British prime minister. Denison is not, um, doesn't mendel well or doesn't mingle well with Throwbridge. And Kate and Denison's um, conversation on this um, crisis takes a huge turn in episode five and episode six. And that's the last thing that I'm going to share here. Where the political intentions of Thrillbridge become very clear. And he, from the beginning, wants to bomb something as very simple and as very gruesome as it sounds. He doesn't believe in diplomacy. He's just like, let's bomb something out because there is a need as a new prime minister 
to survive in that position. And it's interesting when we look not only at realist theory, you know, the way that we look at the world in terms of, you know, whenever there's a crisis, political leaders in positions of power, you know, in terms of prime minister or presidency, etc., tend to um, react in a realist way. Um, once again, realism, the perception that the world is as an anarchic place and that states need to veil or, you know, uh, provide or um, work on their survival, that they cannot trust other states. And, you know, realism is different than liberalism. Liberalism is all up for cooperation between states, for soft power, for diplomacy, for peace, and more. You know, peace, quote-unquote, because, of course, there are many underlying currents within the liberalist theory. But the realist theory is very, um, very direct, very militaristic in a way, and uh, more oriented to hard power than soft power. And when crisis hit, sadly, even though slowly this may be changing, but sadly, in a the modern political history of states or the states uh, nation states that we have today republics etc um leaders whenever a crisis hit tend to record to realist theory so he was ready to bomb and show force because that's the way that they could send a message to uh, other states and the other male counterparts leaders in russia or iran or whatever like hey if you're gonna bomb us we're gonna bomb you back you know like that type of rationale like if you're gonna speak to us in this language we are gonna respond in your language so you do not you do know that you cannot mess around with us there's underlying um, conversations there we can speak from you know how masculinities work in politics which we have already featured an episode on this in the podcast I'm gonna feature down below on the um, description box to the different um, patriarchal packs and the triad of violence between men that we all have also covered down below on the description box I'm gonna list the episodes for you to check it out so the whole point that I'm trying to make here is that his view is that I'm ready to bump something to show force because if not, he perceives that he as an individual won't be able to survive in the position of prime minister because the way that the government is structured in the United Kingdom is through not only elections but also through votes of confidence. So it is not the people... You know, like, for example, elections in the United States or in other countries where the people vote for who they want the president to be or the prime minister to be, etc. Here is more like political parties and, um, you know, senators and legislative um, representatives making those votes. So it shrinks the possibilities of trying to cater to the wider population where your future lies in the hands of those that perhaps maybe will want to hold your position in the future 
or want to compete against you to have it because that's how it works in that system. So um, lately we have seen it in the case of UK once again um, that the the fragility, if that's the word, you know, like if people are not happy with you, they call for elections and they um, pressure you to renounce or pressure you to get out of that position in less than two months in the case of Liz Truss or in case of one year, you know, in the case of Teresa May or we can talk about glass cliffs, which is another concept of that applies to women in power um, in these specific times. Um, but the same with Rishi Sunak, the, you know, we can look at different prime ministers of the UK and they were not elected for four years or for eight years. Like there's an amount of pressure, an amount of confidence that if they don't have to lead, either the king will try to, you know, lure you to renounce or, you know, your counterparts will create a scandal for you to get out. Like in the case of Boris Johnson, you know, like your position is not too firm as in, for example, other republics or states. So taking that in consideration, in episode five, there's a conversation that happens very casually, not only in the um, eating area, there's like a, a table. It's not the living room, it's more like the dining area. <laughs> dining air area of the US ambassador's huge palace, because you know, that also it's interesting to see that showcase in the TV series, you know, where do other ambassadors from other countries live in the in London versus where the US ambassadors live in London and the type of palace and gardens that they have, you know, as a symbol of trust and whatever. <laughs> There's a conversation that happened in the dining area that stands later in the evening into the kitchen area between Hal, the, the dining area is between Kate, Denison, and Throwbridge, but in the kitchen in the evening, Kate, Hal, and Throwbridge, the British Prime Minister, have a conversation. And in that conversation, there's an agreement that the UK will not bomb, that they will try to, you know, strangle Russia through... Um, economic assets that were um, placed place in London or something like that, you know, like the money accounts or something related to that. And then Throwbridge says the country doesn't see Ukraine as a regional conflict. He makes this asseveration that it will come here. We don't need to imagine it. We can remember it. So he was telling Kate and Hal that his position needed to be firm because these type of attacks and crimes to British servicemen um, were seen as, as an act of aggression between countries and between states. So he needed to act firmly through very hard power examples of force to send a message. Then later in episode six, 
they sit down at the dining table in an official setting. Once again, the kitchen conversation was informal, but then in the kitchen, uh, in the dining area, Kate brings over the whole conversation of the negotiations and the next steps, and then suddenly he says that he's not going to follow that, that he's going to follow suit with the bombing of the um, Syrian triangle where the Russian targets are. And then Kate says, but that's not what we agreed last night on the kitchen. In the kitchen. And he changed. And he said something that I was like, oh my God, this is for the podcast. (laughs) Throwbridge said, and I quote, Is there no way to quiet you? Closing quote. So the UK Prime Minister told the US female ambassador in an official meeting between him, her, and Denison the British foreign minister with also like the love interest of Kate, whatever. He told her in her face in a very sexist way, is there no way to quiet you? I almost lost it. That was the moment that I started paying attention to this TV series. I, I was, you know, taking notes and doing shorts while I was watching this TV series. And then suddenly he said that I was like, let's stop everything. What did he just say? I'm sorry, did I hear it correctly? And I know it is a very simple phrase. And you're like, perhaps thinking like, Natalia, why make such a big drama out of it? No, 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 like, this is the example out of many others that people in power, men in power positions, think of other women in power positions as less in this patriarchal mindset. So she's sitting in the table representing the United States. Remember in the in the past few minutes we talked about this, you know, like uh, the 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 representation of ambassadors, how they may be poised as individuals, but they're also, you know, representatives of states. So they may be friends or foes or whatever, but depending on whether the states have Um, allyship or our friends or enemies or whatever um, they still need to make conversations happen in a way they still need to engage in negotiations so how did this prime minister found the entitlement to tell the representative of a neighboring and ally friend state, like the United States, to tell her that she needed to stay quiet. That she was speaking too much. Speaking too much to him, not, you know, like sharing secrets to other people. Speaking too much to him and bothering him. Nagging as women, you know, you nag too much. Uh, I gotta deal with it. I just want to have my breakfast and 
I don't know why you're talking. Why are you still talking? You know, like that type of attitude. And then looking at Denison, who was sitting next to her, and he didn't say anything. Not to defend her, not to defend the conversation, what she was sharing or what she was saying, but he just, his face was like, ah, that's him. And then her face, Kate's face, was like, did he say that to me? And the conversation stopped there because they moved to another scene. It's like, what is this? You know, how many microaggressions, how many sexist remarks do women in diplomatic positions, in ambassadorships or ambassador positions, in diplomatic missions, have to endure, even at the top level of quote-unquote most developed countries in the so-called first world. But my whole point in bringing this simple remark is to ask how common are these type of comments, these type of behaviors, these type of dismissals, mansplaining, microaggressions towards women in power positions, in decision-making spheres, and what is being done to stop it? What is being done to call it out? Because in that scene, there was silence. Silence. If we do like a psychological analysis of her character, it's probable that we will find that she's a very insecure person and she has, you know, problems with authority and she has problems with men. Like we can go, you know, talk about that personal and how that affects the professional, sure. But it's interesting to see here that those were left unattended and unaddressed and later they exploded in France in the final episode where not only Denison was hiding information from her, but also the prime minister was withholding information from Denison were racial undertones throughout the series but they were not very evident between the relationship between Throwbridge and Denison in terms of remarks they were just more like behavioral um, dynamics that even Denison um, used to share a couple of um, scenes and a couple of anecdotes of what happened with Throwbridge but they're not seen on the tv series so they're just being shared as oh uh, Throwbridge is a very difficult man and etc but we, we don't see them unfold in a scene. So we just have his account. And then when the final scene happens, that it is uncovered that Throwbridge was apparently the one behind the killing of one of these Tory representatives, then he is caught off guard. And then the full TV series ends because it showcases in that first season that the word of the diplomats in some ways 
is useless. So I think that's a very good point to end this podcast episode exploring why this happens. What is the value of the work of diplomats? If, for example, from the beginning of the TV series, the CIA and, you know, all these intelligence agencies of the British intelligence, the UK intelligence, whatever, they are having a lot of intel that they don't necessarily share with the US ambassador or with the British foreign minister. So one of those things, they don't share those things with them unless, you know, they are being called or they are being asked or they are formally um, being called out to share specific intel. Then they negotiate, but then between one another and they try to fix some crisis, but then in the end, it doesn't matter because the prime minister or the president will do whatever they want to do or the military will take the decision for them. And the disconnection may be apparent or may not be apparent, but it's there. There's a scene in episode seven when um, Kate and Denison are in France and they're meeting with the French foreign minister. And the French foreign minister, her stance towards Denison is that because the UK um, f- fled Brexit, um, the things, you know, in terms of political um, decisions or France political support will take more time because if the UK would still continue in the European Union, France would not have any problem to step in and, you know, work with them and, you know, do it very swiftly. But because they chose Brexit, then you have to deal with the consequences. And now you have to wait because we are not gonna, you know, rush into anything with you. You know, like... There's, in an episode that we recorded on the podcast, that we talked about psychology and international relations and how the states, in a way, behave like people and how people shape the behavior of states. And that was, like, very evident in that scene. But then more evident when the French foreign minister meets Kate in this uh, Louvre museum and they're speaking about, you know, taking decisions between them, both women... And then the French foreign minister tells Kate that it's not as simple as it sounds. Like, you know, like, Kate still needs to learn. And I think that's a huge lesson for the season. That ambassadors may hold symbolic or cultural power for specific circles and specific circus if we want to use that word, circus, as in, you know, circus, (laughs) Um, such as the media, you know? The ambassadors are the one, like, from the beginning of the series, that's the first thing that they say, you know? The job of the ambassadors is 80% speeches. They're just giving remarks all the time. They're just always speaking to the media, always saying what is the US or the UK or whichever country stands on a specific issue. 
their work, 80% of their work is rhetoric, discursive. 20 other percent of the work is intelligence and negotiations and trying to figure out how to fix things. But that fixing is conditioned and is in a way a bit flimsy. And in this TV series, once again, I, I can't speak for the real world, but there's a perception that these negotiations don't reach the tangible, don't matter in the um, realness of things, even if it's for a crisis in this TV show. So, if anything, take that question with you. That's the only question that I would love to for you to explore. If you're interested, if you have other questions, please do share. You know, for us to continue reflecting upon. But that's the one thing that he left me. Um, the whole TV series was, you know, what's the real role of diplomats? Do diplomats serve a purpose in realist theory? In realist understandings of politics? With political leaders that lead through realist theory? Or are diplomats good and useful if they are representing countries and are part of administrations that embrace liberalist theories or feminist theories for that matter you know we want to address feminist foreign policy models but this is key this is a key question because if not the work is just decorative the power is not there. We may hold the positions, but once the people arise in those positions, because the levels of understanding of those that are above you, you know, once the yeah, president or the secretary of state or whoever is above you, because you are an ambassador, but you have to report to your chief, matter in the long run, matter more for the decision-making than any type of intel, any type of goodwill, any type of desire or friendship or alliance that you may form at a personal or a professional level. So I'm going to leave the episode here. That's the one question, if anything, take that with you because I found that very, very fascinating. Do I recommend this series? Do you need to watch it? Honestly, save your time. It's okay. If you don't have anything else to watch, any other political drama to watch, if you just want to do your laundry and, you know, put something on so someone is speaking on the, on the Netflix or whatever, sure, put it on. But... It's not something that will challenge you intellectually or, you know, be something that is very exciting or, you know, that um, entraps you into wanting to, you know, continue forward. Let's watch the next episode. Let's watch the next episode. At least that's not my understanding. I understand that there are many people with different interests and different perceptions. So 
I invite you to also look at other reviews. Um, but yeah, my review is this one. If you do not have anything else to watch it, then sure, go ahead. If you just want the key highlights, watch a YouTube video. So yeah, that's it for today's episode. Let me know your feedback. Let me know your comments, your questions, your ideas, any key highlights if you have watched the TV series or if you are you know, exploring these type of topics, um, please do share. We are currently on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at womenhood underscore IR. Check down below in the description box other related episodes to this conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in and talk to you soon.